This sermon was preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church of Fallbrook, California, on Sunday, July 25th, 2021. It was based on Mark chapter 6, verses 35 to 44. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. They said, This is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away, so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five, and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. The past few weeks we've been attending to the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 6. But you may have noticed we're also attending to the movements of Jesus. Think of last Sunday when Jesus invited his disciples to get some rest by moving away from the commerce and communication of the towns and villages and into a wilderness place where they could practice focusing their attention on what matters most. But when Jesus and his disciples got to the quiet place they were seeking, it wasn't so quiet anymore. Mark reports that the crowds had figured out where Jesus was headed and had run ahead to greet him when he arrived. That's when Mark wrote, Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Now that's where we are today in the story of Jesus' ministry. We're in the remote countryside with a huge crowd of people listening to the Lord of Life preach and teach. Now, we're not really there, not us personally. I mean, we're here enjoying the scene in the morning. It's not too long after our breakfast. They, on the other hand, were with Jesus well into the afternoon, and they didn't have food to eat, even though it was soon time for the evening meal. And this was a problem. You can hear the concern can't you, in the way the disciples bring the situation to Jesus? This is a remote place, they say. It's already very late, they say. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and and buy themselves something to eat. Now this, this proposed solution wasn't actually much of a solution, really, but I guess it's the best they can do. It's not much of a solution because when you you learn how big the crowd was later, Mark reports there were 5,000 men which meant there were also women and children present, surely. So this number of people dwarfed the population of the towns and villages in the region. Capernaum and Bethsaida, for example, had had maybe two to 3,000 residents each, according to historians. But Jesus, he doesn't kind of back off. He really actually accentuates the issue. This huge crowd had rapidly rushed into the wilderness to greet them without making any provision for what they'd eat that evening before making the hike back home. And he suggests the seemingly preposterous solution, you give them something to eat. 
He tells the disciples, you feed them. Which this is, of course, what really sets the disciples off, it seems. They reply, it would take half a year's wages to feed that many people, and they were right. There really was no way the disciples could solve the problem they were facing. But Jesus kept pressing the issue, and they were probably getting angry with him. He he tells them, go around and count how much food there is. Let's go check it out, as if that would make much of a difference. And the result of their inventory, of course, was just the five loaves and two fish. Pretty hopeless. But I think that's the point. And I'm not the only one. Generations of Christians have seen the master teacher at work here pressing the issue, asking them to count their provisions, forcing them to recognize that the situation was beyond human resourcefulness. And that's the point. I think it's the point. It's beyond you. It's beyond me. It's beyond the disciples. Do you see how that's connected to the rest of the narrative we've been reading these few weeks? Last week, we saw how the Bible presents Jesus not as some wonder worker only, but as the right person in the right setting as a clear sign that he is the Redeemer God has long promised would come to the world. And so here we find him in the wilderness, presiding as a shepherd over people who have come to rely on everything he is saying and everything he is doing. Makes you think of the Old Testament words that Jesus himself quoted when he was tempted by Satan in the where else? The wilderness? Man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The rest of the story, of course, is well known. Jesus instructed the disciples to begin distributing the five loaves and the two fish to the crowd, and, well, by the time they were done, Mark reports that everyone who was there had not just gotten a mere morsel, they had all eaten until they were satisfied. Now, Mark doesn't tell us the mechanism by which this miracle was carried out, which always makes it kind of hard for people who want to dramatize this on on screen. You know, did the loaves multiply in their hands? Would they reach their hands into, into baskets that had become bottomless bread baskets? Could they just tear the bread off every loaf without without diminishing the bread left behind? Mark doesn't tell us, and probably for good reason. It's because the how for this miracle doesn't matter as much as the who. The people of Galilee had met the Lord. That's who. The one who opens his hands to satisfy the desires of every living thing, as Psalm 145 talks about God. The crowd had been described as sheep without a shepherd, and they met the shepherd who provides all their needs, so they lack nothing. Their their cup, or in this case their baskets, are overflowing, as Psalm 23 says about God. The bread they ate was about more than solving a pressing practical concern, although it did just that. It was a sign to point them to the one who is the bread of life. You see, we're going to continue this this narrative in the weeks to come, and then we're going to get to the well-known bread of life discourse from Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John. And we're going to see how these weeks of readings are really going to culminate with greater clarity in the teaching that Jesus here is introducing. We'll discover in greater depth how our daily hunger for daily bread is but a reflection of the deep dissatisfaction we suffer by the fact of our birth as sinful people in a broken world. For us to be truly satisfied, as in forever satisfied, we need a Lord who can open his hands and satisfy, not just for a meal, but for eternity. We need the Lord named Jesus, the one whose every word and work drove home the point that 
All this is beyond you and beyond me. What we craft and create is consumed by death and becomes dust and ashes. But what Christ can craft and create in you and me, by the means he has ordained, the preached word by which we live, holy baptism by which we enter his kingdom in faith, and the Lord's Supper by which he feeds us. This, these means, have every ounce of God's power to move you and me from the lost column to the found column, from eternal death to written in the book of life now and always. There's one little surprise in today's text I want to share with you every day, or uh, very briefly before we go. Did you notice who it was who distributed the gifts of God to those 5,000 <clears> to those 5,000 men and their families? It wasn't Jesus waving his hands and making bread to fly from the basket from from one basket to another, no. He had his disciples administer the whole thing. It was they, the ones Jesus had made a special point to reveal their inability to do his work. It was they whom Jesus still blessed with the privilege of being the hands through whom God's gifts came to others. Friends, the truth is that's the same pattern Jesus uses today. Jesus is still distributing his gifts. He has ascended to the right hand of God and he has sent the Holy Spirit to empower his body, this group of people he calls the church, to bring the bread of life to people who are hungry and who need it, to feed it to one another and to feed it to the lost. It's all God's doing, of course, because it's all God's work, and it's all God's power. But amazingly, graciously, really, he asks that your hands be the hands through whom he delivers the goods. Your hands, your mouths, your money, your time, your energy. God involves everything that makes up who you are in this world. You and I who have received nothing less than the gift of life become the stewards of gifts who, and we rejoice to give them out to those who need them. You see, something remarkable happens when we realize we have no power on our own to do God's work. It means we're finally free. We don't want to be perfect. We don't want to impress anyone because Christ was perfect in our stead. We don't want to be powerful. We don't want to show off because Christ was powerful in our place which makes us free to finally be good and kind and generous and virtuous and and the sanctified people who circulate the gifts of God we have received. We take God's gifts to the eyes and the ears and the mouths of others. The work of God is beyond you, it's beyond me, but it includes you and includes me. Amen. Now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.